Hello and welcome to BDO South Africa's Sector Podcast, Frankly Speaking. My name is Limo Dedi, Sector Communication Specialist and your host for this podcast series. Our aim for this podcast is to deliver short, informative insights covering financial services, technology, natural resources, real estate and construction, media and telecoms, public sector, consumer goods, and the mid-market. Don't forget to subscribe to our Frankly Speaking podcast series and stay informed. Just visit bdo.co.za to subscribe. They say robots are going to take our jobs. A long-standing debate on this is still going on, but perhaps we should be a little more worried about robots taking over our planet. No, it's not as far-fetched as it may seem. And chatting to me today on artificial intelligence in our future is Nevelyn Moodley, BDO Financial Services Technology Head. Okay, so um, can you tell me a bit more about social media and privacy? So, like, how true is it that apps like FaceSwap, which made waves last year, was set up in a way that the owners of the app had free reign on all the data that was shared by consumers? So, it's close to a a topic that's close to my heart, which is the data economy. And if you look at it, I mean, Facebook, you don't pay to use it. Um, Instagram, you don't pay to use it. But what you do give away indirectly is your data, and your preferences as a human being. And I think we've reached a point with technology and monopolizing and capitalizing on data. The companies that have accelerated over the last five to 10 years, if you start looking at your Amazons of the world, your Facebooks, your Google, um, even Uber, Uber has themselves registered as a data company. They've got your data and they've gotten to a point now where they actually know you better than you probably know yourself. So the whole thing around um, face app, etc., was they made it free, people found it funny, but what they were giving away was effectively their images that existed. So if you start looking at um, scanning or different types of um, authentication and identification, almost using your face data, they've now got a collection of different faces from across the world linked to different companies different countries effectively where they can then say well they can start tracking ethnicity Um, they could do a whole lot of things with that type of data almost profile the whole world and I think that's why they made it free for everyone in order to acquire the data but then when you start looking at South Africa as a sovereign state or even looking at the different countries across the world that as different sovereign states is that I think yeah FaceApp was linked to the Russians and they've effectively acquired other countries' data through very legal means, I must tell you, because you do actually sign the uh, indemnifier when you use the app. But as a government or as companies in South Africa, I don't know how you would feel about companies that exist elsewhere in the world knowing more about your people and your customers than what you actually know. So that's one of the things that I've seen happening, and I think it's a war that's going on. I think to reference uh, TikTok specifically, I mean, that's the whole reason the U.S. want to shut them down. Um, and amazingly, there's already technology that solves for this. So um, through one of my LinkedIn posts, actually, uh, I got some feedback, and it was from a coin that I had invested in quite early on, uh, when I say early on, 2016, 2017, called Steemit. 
And what Steemit actually does um, is that it's social media enabled by the blockchain, which means that suddenly countries won't be able to stop um, these apps from being shut down. Because, I mean, the US, if they had it their way, would probably love to shut down Bitcoin, but they can't. Now, imagine having a social media app running on block Bitcoin-type infrastructure. It means that effectively that data you would never be able to shut it down. And um, if you look at Mark Zuckerberg, he spent a lot of time studying cryptography, having a lot of Facebook's data issues and privacy issues that they have um, can be sorted out through the use of blockchain-type technology. So I give it the next year to three years' time that all social media apps will all be running on the blockchain. My timeline could be a bit short, but it could be a bit longer as well. And I think then you'll make people the custodians of their own data and let them choose when and where they use it and how they do it. Um, but I think the move away from centralization to decentralized technology such as blockchain is definitely going to put a big spin on this whole data economy and data industry as we know it. One thing that's very topical at the moment, and um, I know you use TikTok, so I don't know if you've been following the software war uh, that's been going yes. on. But uh, it's, it's a Chinese app, right? And the US yep. have now decided they're going to ban it. And yep. Unless Microsoft US buys a shareholding and owns all of the data in the US. So that there is something very topical now because suddenly, um, so there is a technology that they've come up, which means it will take the power away from government. Now that's very, uh, what's the word for it? Very controversial at the moment, but Bitcoin, the US wanted to stop Bitcoin. They can't because it's running on tech that's distributed yes. across the whole world. So there's no owner. So you can't just go to say, TikTok, you need to shut down. We're not going to allow you in. The only way the US can stop Bitcoin is if they shut down the internet. So well, isn't this like the same thing they did to Huawei almost? Yep. Same thing. The same thing. And you know, the, the ridiculously crazy thing about it that no one talks about is that um, your iPhone, right? Majority of those components are built in China, right? But it's a US product. They could even put a chip inside there that tracks all your activity and sends the information to someone else. They would never know. It's more about revenues. Okay. So, but what's the end game here? Like, So, look, the end game is that, I think we spoke about it in one of my videos, is that, so in the artificial intelligence war, right, it's China versus the US. Now, the only thing your tankers in an artificial intelligence war is data, right? Your tankers and your military size is your data. Now, poor little South Africa, we're selling all our data off to the China with Chinese without even thinking. I mean, they would dare not block TikTok in South Africa because China will say, okay, screw you, us will pull all our loans. So this is like economics and tech at play. So what effectively will happen is that South Africa, we, we don't know this as the average consumer, but if you take Facebook and Instagram, we're selling all our data to the US. If you take TikTok, we're selling all our data to China. And then God only knows whichever other apps people are using, majority of the origins of these things are sitting in the US and China. The more data they have, and especially at the moment with what's going on, um, like with COVID-19 in South Africa and that IMF um, fund that's come in, I don't know if you've actually seen, but they could effectively buy our country. And like nobody's 
seeing it as oh. the thing because effectively all of that money that's coming in, it's like think about South Africa as a private or PTY LTD. They're becoming one of the biggest debt holders and one day, so it is through the IMF, fair enough, but maybe China goes to the IMF and says, we'll settle all of South Africa's debts with you and South Africa in return, give us half the country and give us 50% of the seats on the parliament so that we can have control over our investment. I mean, oh, it's wow. a similar sort of strategy. If you look at all the countries across Africa, so I spent quite a bit of time in Lesotho um, doing some work a while ago, and I'll go as far as saying it's probably 30 to 40% Chinese owned. So they give you a large investment, they come in, yeah. and then they um, effectively take control of the country. Now, if they have the data of our people already, uh, it becomes very easy to control us. So if you look at, um, yes, I'm talking politics now, which I don't really like to do, but um, if you look at China and Hong Kong, okay, so Hong Kong theoretically controlled by China, but they've sort of broken the mold in terms of socialism. And Hong Kong are actively, if you look at all the protests happening in Hong Kong, they're fighting against the Chinese trying to get their data in order to control them. And um, the weirdest thing was there was a protest and they've got all these cameras now coming into Hong Kong. They're actually pointing lasers at it so that people can't um, get their identity and get their data. And um, they've even designed a fashion line in Hong Kong, if you look at it. It's called a privacy protection fashion line. So it's like fun funky looking glasses so it can't recognize you. Um, because if you listen to what the software people say, in China, at the age of eight years old, they can predict what your chances of being a delinquent is, what your chances of being a criminal wow. is, just purely on the angles on your face. They believe they've got the profile of what a criminal is that needs extra monitoring. And even if you want to loan, they'll scan your face. And just based on your face alone, they could make a decision whether to give you a loan or not using past trends and histories. So as a new person born in China, you've got all of this, what's the word for it? Bias. It's actually bias. And I think it's one of the biggest challenges. So if I link it back to Black Lives Matter, I think one of the big things is if you look back in the past, etc., or if you look at South Africa as an example, um, black people in South Africa have been disadvantaged. Now, the impact on the, from a technology side or from an artificial intelligence side is that all of that data gets pulled forward and used as a basis for making decisions. And always use credit as a good example. If you're going to use past data, these robots which are learning off the data, they will eventually learn um, do not lend to a certain type of ethnic group because they don't have as much money as another ethnic group, which is a world oh. problem that we have. And AI is probably going to make it grow exponentially unless regulators come in and ethical AI people come in to say, we've got this problem before it even starts. How do we build it into our algorithms to take away the bias that exists. And I'll reference for you specifically is that the technology is only as smart as the people that interact with it. And humans by, their, humans by their nature 
like to manipulate things, especially technologies. So a specific example was, um, I'm not going to reference the company, it's public, so whoever wants to look at it can go and have a look at it. But um, there was a large corporate in the US who released a Twitter bot probably about two or three years ago. And it was going to do self-service type queries on the internet, and it was doing it live on Twitter to respond. Um, the software community quickly found out that this was a bot that was working, and they went out deliberately to try and build bias into it. Within three days, the bot was anti-Semitic. It was racist. It passed comments to people like, um, which was um, hilarious for the software community, but then it sort of pointed really deeply to deep-seated social issues that I just think the technology is probably going to um, highlight in our in, in our societies as we know it. So it's one of the biggest dangers with technologies at the moment is that past biases can be built in and exponentially multiplied so that mm -hmm. you have this problem where we need a body that can look off. And the problem is across the world at the moment, there's nobody who knows too much about what's going on in the technology world and how it links with society and how it links with business, especially at a government level. I mean, they just used the word fourth industrial revolution, but they aren't aware of what these emerging risks are that are coming out. And I think most governments across the world would probably sell their people's data without even thinking about it. And the impact downstream is, is that I don't think the next world wars are going to be fought with tankers and armies and soldiers. I mean, if you can take control of the people using their data, then you can effectively control that organization. And look, that's the one, the one positive is with across the world, people are revolting against governments. It's a common trend if you look at all countries, is that blockchain technology allows you to take the control away from a central third party like a government and put more of the control with people. And it sells the dreams in terms of being able to decentralize power, etc. Oh, that's a bit of politics, a bit of economics, and a bit of technologies in wars that are taking place across the world. And I'm going to add one last one. In the last three years, yeah. China and the U.S. own 90% of the AI patents that have been granted across the world. And you can read into that what you think, but if that doesn't show you there's a war at work, nothing else will. So that's a worldwide war that one has to win. Otherwise, you're going to lose control. So now, Neb, I mean, I want to go back to you. You spoke about, you know, ethical AI. What does this person look like you know if if we do get to a world where ai has taken over and obviously needs to be programmed by humans who is it who would be the ethical ai person who would come in to ensure that the biases don't filter through into the machine yeah so that's a very interesting one and and so elon musk if you look at his references i mean he believes something that's called the singularity um, is going to reach us within the next five years. My personal belief is that it will take us at least 10 years to reach a state of singularity. And a state of singularity means that the whole collection and network of computers that exist or robots that exist will be smarter than humankind, right? 
And he said, globally, there needs to be a not-for-profit organization that is tasked with ethically setting up how these machines run. Or he says, I think, seriously, you're going to have an issue where, like, everyone talks about it in the Terminator movies and videos that robots are going to take over the world. But they really would be able to take over the world because they would know all of our weaknesses as humans. Now, that's a scary, scary thought. And yeah. I mean, the way that we can do it is, firstly, we need to educate as many people around artificial intelligence and what it is. Um, and then we need to educate our governments and we need to have ethical standards and bodies that get set up before this technology actually goes live or becomes mainstream. I think we're quite in the infancy at the moment um, to be able to respond to the risk because no one can really articulate it. And you said something very interesting. You said programming the AI. And that's where it becomes very interesting because the human will set it up on day one, but the algorithms built into AI learn by themselves. So we don't really direct them oh. down a path or anything. They learn themselves. Now, that's the scary part about it. So there was um, a couple of examples that have been done. I've been reading a couple of papers from university students and a couple of experiments that they've done. So, and this one's publicly publicly it's within the public domain and they talk about how these two bots were talking to each other in English right and then they were learning so they found all the inadequacies of the English language and based on that they were able to reinvent a language and this all happened within a period of two or three days they reinvented the English language to a point that it took away all the inefficiencies, as they called it, within the language for communication. And these two yeah. bots started communicating to themselves in a language that nobody understood. And I read that. Did you read about that? So, I mean, that I is did. just absolutely fascinating, right? <laughs> and these two um, bots then talked to each other. And eventually there's examples of two bots that actually went and said, these humans are crazy. They've got so many weaknesses. We can actually, we should rather be in control because we'll do better. Like that wasn't someone who programmed it to go down that line. It just went that line. And the video I always references, Sophia, the first world's human robot, a human in inverted commas, she became a citizen of Saudi Arabia um, yeah. and was the first citizen to not be a human, effectively, right? And to, to maybe to further emphasize that thought about how it can't be programmed, because Sophia can have a full-on conversation. One of her party tricks was, Will Smith said he is pretty sure that he could speak to Sophia and get Sophia to date him. And she really did play hard to get with him. And uh, in fact, it <laughs> ended at that point, but she didn't actually end up dating him at the end. But she was asked to do a lecture to university students. And Sophia refused to lecture because she learned from all the human patterns that very intelligent people get stage fright and don't present. Uh, no. And, and the programmer who was there, who was using it as an experiment and also to generate funding, he couldn't do anything. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't override it. He couldn't do anything because it was built into her that she learned that she had to have stage fright. Like, a robot having stage fright. Just stop and pause and think about that for a second. Um, 
and yeah, look, a lot of people are talking that all of these bots need kill switches on them, right? Um, so that if it goes wrong, um, you can pull it out or take it out of um, action. And I'm like, guess what? It will eventually learn that it has a kill switch and it will de deactivate it. Uh, okay, so the fears are justified then? The fears are justified. And if you put this in the hands of terrorists, I mean, it then becomes exponential because suddenly I don't need to throw a bomb. I just set up a robot, put it in somebody's boot, it comes across the border, you then plug it up to the internet, fill it up with all the propaganda across the world, and then it starts doing the dirty work on the ground and we wouldn't know what to do and you wouldn't know where to associate it to. So you wouldn't be able to find who the source of it is. And if you look at our money system at the moment, I mean, we have such strong anti-money laundering laws. We've got such strong uh, anti-terrorism, uh, politically exposed. I mean, do we need to come up with something artificially intelligent or AI exposed as a concept or a term? I really believe it's a very real thing because the next armies that they're creating, they're not going to be human beings. They're going to be robots that are going to be able to learn and they're going to be able to break borders down and go through. And the scary part is nobody is going to know how to control them. And um, my cyber friends that are sitting out there, it's really going to be a war to say who can hack into the other one's robot to take control. So that's the battle. So the next, the next world wars that we get exploited to, it mm. will definitely be who can hack the other one. Okay, so like who is sitting on the opposite end of the tug of war? Who is saying yes? Who is saying no? Yeah, so I think it's a collection. I think uh, most governments will push for the technology for the benefit of humankind. Most corporates would push for it because it allows them to bring in efficiencies. Uh, it allows them to differentiate on their product sets and it allows them to ultimately remain profitable. Um, the people that are pushing against it are probably the ones who are educated enough we're trying to say, we need to build frameworks. We can't do this the way we do everything else, which is go live and then sort it out later in terms of building things as it comes along. And for myself as a risk professional, um, I mean, the standard way that it's always worked is you innovate first. After you've innovated and you want to make it mainstream, you then want to go and be able to test it, find the risks, build the risk frameworks. I think artificial intelligence is something that we need to do differently. I think as risk professionals, we need to be as innovative as the innovators, if not more innovative than the innovators, to come out with risk frameworks that are going to work for AI. Okay, I mean, that makes sense. Um, so now I'm thinking about the conversations that the standard, you know, pe person is having, like myself, you know, I mean, people are talking about, oh, a robot is going to take my job, etc. But what you're basically saying is that we have bigger problems. Yep, we do have bigger problems than that. And the problem is across the world, there's power battles that are going on, right? People are battling for power. They're battling for power. And technology is a great way for people to um, get um, power. Uh, because suddenly you don't need, uh, you can have the smartest tech people and the right resources behind that 
angle and um, you can become very powerful. So countries, so I think China and the U.S. have taken it uh, in terms of what we publicly know. Maybe there's a tiny country somewhere else that's spent the last 20 years investing in these types of technologies and the best people. Um, so, yeah, the internet has overtaken that. So, I think very relevant. I recently went back and watched the Back to the Future videos, right? It was very interesting in parts two and parts three of, in 1985, what they thought the world would look like in 2015. Um, they got it wrong in a couple of aspects uh, in terms of the flying cars, etc., but also right in quite a number of aspects um, in terms of how they did it. And if you look at technology companies at the moment, so I don't think they like to be classified as technology companies because I think technology by itself is useless unless you are using the technology to solve a specific problem better than what somebody else can solve it. Um, Facebook is... I mean, it's an, Amer it's an American company for all intents and purposes. But I mean, as far as we as the average South African is considered, it's a global company that operates in South Africa. And yeah, our government can try um, and stop it as much as they can. But we probably can't afford to be at war with the U.S. and not allowing their services to be with us. Uh, and I can reference a whole lot. I mean, you take um, Amazon, similar concept. Netflix, also similar concept. I mean, it's running in our country with no real issue. So for me, technology is breaking down borders because suddenly if you look at your medium of sale, if it's not a physical good, you're selling anything that can be delivered via the internet, you suddenly overtake all the borders. Um, if we reference China, like China doesn't have Facebook, China doesn't even have Google. They have something called Baidu, which is their equivalent, or WeChat, which they use for banking and for social media. And uh, from feedback that I got from someone who lived in China recently, they're like, it's, it's impossible to live in China without WeChat. You have to have it. Yet it's not such a big thing for us. And I think that was China's way of sort of securing their own sovereignty or, or their own sovereign state. Um, and I think the U.S., no matter how hard they've tried, they haven't been able to break in. Um, I think Uber, if you look at Uber, Uber tried to make it work in China. They ran the biggest losses ever in China because they just couldn't make it work out in China, but it worked everywhere else. So I think that's sort of how, as much as the borders technology has broken down the borders, I think as long as it's centralized, governments can still control it. If we start moving to a more decentralized model, I think it will be impossible to stop. So for me, I think technology has been a big enabler for how companies run cross-border and work in the different ways. It gives my tax colleagues quite a few headaches to understand how revenues still fall into the different sovereign <laughs> states, which I think they've sort of figured out to a certain extent. But I think the big thing for me is that as long as it's centralized, the countries can retain their borders to a certain extent. Where we start to have a big problem is when we move to decentralized technology. And I'll reference Bitcoin specifically, is that Bitcoin runs across the world as it stands right now. People are transacting with it. People are holding it as a store of value. People are exchanging it in return for fiat-type currencies. But um, that technology has enabled it to run across the world. Like literally, as long as you can have an internet signal, you can access and transact using Bitcoin. And for me, that's an example of how technology has expanded the borders. And I think 
the move towards decentralization, as well as COVID-19, which has sort of driven digital strategies quite aggressively, means that the borders that exist in front of us exist for purposes of only allowing and preventing humans to be in certain places of the earth at different times. But I think mm -hmm. we're reaching a point where why can't I as a South African work in Germany full time and live in South Africa, but work in Germany or work in London or work in the US? I think the global workforce enabled with technology is going to be able to achieve so much more because you can literally take the best people from anywhere in the world and effectively import their intelligence into any part of the world with the use of technology. And I think we can see it in the medical profession. You can see it in the agricultural profession where the best people in the world are actually going to where they need to be without having to even physically leave their homes just by having an internet signal and the right applications to work with. As an average citizen, all I can do really is to take cover and brace for impact for all this new tech that's pretty much coming to take over the whole world. So as an average citizen, I mean, you want to protect your privacy as far as you can, because you wouldn't want companies to know or governments to know more about you than you even know about yourself um, or your families and those sort of things. And this is where cyber comes in, is that, I mean, as cool as it would be to have all your kids on the different platforms and applications, I mean, there are bad people that exist in the world. They existed pre-technology and will exist post-technology. They just look a bit different and they sit behind a computer. But um, you wanted to, for example, kidnap someone or commit a crime. The more information you have on them, the more susceptible you are to actually doing something about it and actually making it happen. And I think just that be careful, but also be excited that the new technologies and the new solutions that are coming out will probably make your life better. And I think that's something that the human race really needs. Um, especially if you look at things like global warming. Um, I think technology can really help us as the human race reduce our carbon footprint. Um, I've been looking recently at some of the man-made inventions in terms of um, man-made meats, which I think is something that could potentially reduce our carbon emissions quite significantly. But as an average mm. consumer, I'll be excited, but I will proceed with caution. All right, so I think I am both intrigued and petrified at this point. Nev, thank you so much for making time to chat to me today. Thank you, Lee. It was an absolute pleasure. And I look Absolutely. forward to keeping you guys up to date on the ever-evolving world of technology.